In continuing this series on timeless principles for the workplace, we cover two important areas in this message: leadership and work-life balance. All right. Why don't we stand up to our feet and make our declaration and then we will get into God's word. If you have your Bibles, let's hold it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing. To many people, I receive his word. I believe his word, and I live by his word. Christ is my master, and to him I am in absolute surrender in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated, please. All right. We're down to the last two Sundays where we've been studying timeless principles for the workplace. Uh, so next Sunday will be our last Sunday on this series. We usually try to limit our series to eight to, t- to ten Sundays at the max so that, so that people don't get tired of the same subject all the time. Uh, uh, so we're not going to be able to cover uh, the, the rest of the uh, book in entirety. Today we are going to be doing chapter 13 on leadership and chapter 19, which is work-life balance. Uh, we'll do the, uh, two, uh, both these chapters. I'm just going to skim through the chapters in between. Next Sunday is going to be interesting because um, it'll be our concluding uh, Sunday on this on this series, and uh, I've asked three of our business leaders in our church to come and just share from their own life experience uh, on uh, various topics uh, for ten minutes each. They will come. They will talk from here, uh, giving real world experience uh, on various aspects of the organization, and then. Uh, at the end, I'll come up and I'll close off with the last two chapters, that's 21 and 22, uh, uh, as we close this series. But I'd encourage you to read the entire book, different chapters. You know, on the very first Sunday that we gave out this book, at 6 p.m., I get a message from one of the young guys here. He says, Pastor, I finished reading the whole book. <laughs> so that means he took the book home, he sat through the afternoon, and he read the whole book. And uh, you know, he was really appreciative. Uh, uh, of having uh, the opportunity to have this book in his hand and, and just, uh, you know, that means he read all the sermons. Uh, <laughs> he knew what was going to be preached. Anyway, so we encourage you to do that, study it, uh, and of course, begin to apply it in your life. So let's go to chapter 13. That's on page 168. As we talk about leadership, uh, and of course, we'd, we've been talking about the workplace, uh, why are we talking about the workplace, uh, especially uh, from the Bible? How can we do that? Uh, isn't the Bible a very ancient book that uh, may not be relevant to our day and time today? One thing that we have emphasized is that the principles God gave in His Word in Bible times are timeless. Truth is timeless. Truth has no expiration rate. Amen? Amen. It's no explanation. It's timeless. Truth is transferable uh, in any language, in any place, in any culture. Truth remains the truth. It's absolute. And so the principles God gave in His Word during Bible times are still relevant to us today because it's truth. It's timeless. And so we take those principles relevant to Bible times and apply it to our day, our workplace today. Leadership uh, in the workplace is very important. Some of you are team leaders. You lead teams. Uh, some of you may be leading departments, uh, entire business units. Uh, some of you may be leading entire organizations, heads of organizations and so on. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter what the size or the scale of uh, what you're doing. A leader is a leader. You've got tremendous responsibility on your shoulders. Even if you're leading a small group of people, you're carrying responsibility for that entire group. And so 
we want to talk about some principles from the Word of God. There is, of course, a lot on leadership available outside. I, if you just just on the uh, from a management perspective, from uh, from a business perspective, there's several books, several thoughts on leadership, and uh, it's not our intent here to compete with you know what what is out there. But what we're trying to do simply is bring out principles from the Word of God that you and I can apply uh, as leaders in the workplace. So let's start here on page 168. If you don't see it, you cannot lead people into it. Jesus put it like this. He said, they are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. I know there is a context to what he is saying, but there is also the principle. I want us to look at the principle. If the blind lead the blind, everybody is going to end up in the ditch. As a leader, you cannot afford to be a blind leader. It means that it's teaching us the importance of vision. As a leader, you are a carrier of the vision for the team, for the group, for the organization, for, for the uh, for, for the entity that you're leading, it's so important to have a vision, to know where you're going, uh, to know how to get there, uh, how do you make the journey there, how can you take people with you into that future that you are able to see. They may not be able to see it, but you need to be able to see it. Otherwise, you'll be like a blind, you'll be like blind leading the blind. In Judges 21, verse 25, right there on page 68, it says, In those days, this was right after the time of Joshua. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So imagine with no leadership, with no king, with no person, you know, directing, giving direction. Everybody did whatever was right in their own eyes. They were, they, they were pulling in different directions. It's so dangerous to operate without clear leadership because everybody will do whatever they feel, whatever they think is right, and the organization will get nowhere. Very important to being a leader is to have proper heart attitudes. And if you ask me, I believe the heart of a leader is more important than his competencies. Skills and competencies can be developed, but if the heart is not right, that's a major problem. Because I can't set your heart right. I can help you develop skills. I can teach you, you know, uh, how to handle situations. But if the heart is not right, sorry. And the heart getting right has to come between you and God in your journey with God. Jesus, uh, uh, you know, uh, made this very clear statement to his 12 disciples. You know, the context there was they were debating among themselves who's going to get to sit on the right hand and the left of Jesus. I mean, it's going to be number one, number two, next to Jesus. And then Jesus rebukes his own disciples very strongly, saying, you don't know what you're talking about. And, and then he gives them this lesson on leadership from kingdom perspective. He's, he says this in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. He says, listen, uh, you observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes into their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. So in the kingdom of God, leadership takes on a whole different perspective. If you want to be first, you've got to have the heart, willingness to be last. If you, if you want to be a leader, you want to be uh, on the top, you've got to, be the, uh, got to have a heart attitude where you're saying, I'm willing to be a servant. So in the kingdom of God, having a servant heart is so important. Now, this is contrary or may contradict or may be very different from the way the world talks about leadership. Leadership's got to be somebody, you know, you've got to really boss on people. You've got to really, you know, know how to push your way forward. You've got to know how to throw your weight around. I mean, that's the way the world talks about it. But listen, Jesus gave us a different principle for leadership. He said you've got to be a servant if you want to lead people. And, and, and I would like to, you know crystallize uh, uh, three important heart attitudes for leadership, which I feel are really important. Uh, servanthood, passion, and self-control. Servanthood, as Jesus emphasized right here, is, is expressed through humility, meekness, a willingness to sacrifice, a willingness to serve. A servanthood, the heart of a leader, must be one of a servant. Sure, you're in the front. Sure, you're, you're, you're having the vision. And sure, you're organizing, leading, directing. But you do it with the heart of a servant. You're doing it to serve people. Another important 
uh, or as, as Paul writes there in the bottom of page 169, don't do anything from selfish ambition or from cheap desire to boast, but be humble toward one another, always considering others better than, than yourselves. And also look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. That is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. Perhaps the greatest example that Jesus gave, it shocked his disciples, is in John 13. This was just before, you know, uh, he, he went, for, went to the cross. Uh, uh, he, uh, he, the disciples of Jesus all assembled in a place. And then suddenly Jesus says, you know, get me a bowl, get me a towel. And then he goes and he washes the feet of all his disciples. And then he says, I have set you an example because I want you to do this to one another. So, of course, we understand it's not about literal washing of the feet. But it's that willingness to get down to the level of serving one another. Amen? And that's what he's called us to do. To go to the level of serving one another. Whatever it takes to serve my brother or my sister, I need to do that. And Jesus said, if I, your Lord and Master, have done this for you, how much more should you do this? Amen? So that's the kind of leaders God wants us to be. The people who are willing to serve. A leader should also be a man of passion. That means he's got to have fire in his belly. I mean, if a leader drags his feet, oh, what's going to happen? Right? So leadership, you've got to have some fire inside you. Amen? You've got to be the person burning the midnight oil. You've got to be the person working those extra hours. You've got to be the person who will, who will press through no matter what. Because the passion you carry is what's going to burn inside those who follow you. Amen? So you've got to be a man of passion. You have enthusiasm. You have the ability to walk through turbulent times. You enjoy what you're doing. You're cheerful about your work. In Romans 12, verses 11 and 2, that's on bottom of page 170. The Bible says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert, servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. It's talking about passion. Keeping that fire burning through all that you go through. You don't give up. You go through ups and downs. Uh, your organization that you're leading, your team that you're leading will go through difficult times, but you've got to keep the fire burning. Got to be a man of passion. And a third hard attitude that I believe is really important for a leader is self-control. The ability to be self-governing, which is demonstrated through self-discipline and self-restraint. If a leader has no self-governing ability, he is going to do all kinds of wrong things that will ruin his life and the life of those who follow him. So a leader must have great self-control. You and I are aware of many organizations that have been ruined because the leader fell into greed or, or began to do things that were wrong and destroyed the entire organization. No self-control, no self-governing ability. And so that's, that's very important. Uh, keep a check on yourself, your work, your habits, your productivity, your interactions with people, how you say, what you say. A, a leader's got to have that, demonstrate self-control, and, and, and that will really bless people. Uh, maintain proper people skills, page 171. Another important thing about uh, a leader, Proverbs 20, verse 28. Love and truth form a good leader. What? Love and truth. Love, meaning compassion, gentleness, kindness, mercy, and truth, meaning integrity, honesty, or brightness. Love and truth form a good leader. Sound leadership is founded on loving integrity, love and truth. Proverbs 14, 28 says, the mark of a good leader is loyal followers. Leadership is nothing without a? following. So somebody says, I'm a great leader. Next question is, how many people are following you? 
Leadership is nothing without a following. If people are not ready to follow you, or people are not taking, willing to make the journey with you, then that leadership is amounts to nothing. So leadership is nothing without people actually being willing uh, to follow you. Leadership is about people. Uh, without, if people don't follow you, uh, they can't, can, cannot be leadership. So if you and I as leaders, we need to have good uh, people skills. I celebrate people, care about people, encourage people, build people, invest in people, uh, treat people fairly, uh, and uh, just bless people around you. Amen? And that's so important as a leader. Now, of course, as a leader, sometimes you've got to correct people, but you're doing it to edify them, you're doing it to build them and build the organization, uh, and so on. Top of page 173, Proverbs 29, verse 2. Show me a righteous ruler or a leader, and I will show you a happy people. Show me a wicked ruler, and I will show you a miserable people. So show me a good leader, righteous leader. What will happen? The people under him will be happy. They'll be blessed. So leadership really has a significant impact on people. If the head is not right, is not right, the body won't be right. Now, if you look at it physiologically, I mean, you can have a really good body, but if your brain damaged, it's not going to have any use. If the head's not right, the body won't be right. Proverbs 29 verse 12 says, When a leader listens to malicious gossip, all the workers get infected with evil. Think about it. If the leader is listening to the wrong kind of stuff, it affects everybody under him. So as a leader, you've got to protect yourself. You've got to have certain defenses around you. I don't mean carry having bodyguards around you all the time. <laughs> That's not what I mean. I'm meaning, I'm talking about your defenses, your moral defenses, your uh, uh, relational defenses. Why? Because you know that if you open the door and give the wrong kind of people access to you, and you start listening to the wrong kinds of things, it's only going to affect you. It's going to affect everybody else underneath you. Are you with me so far? So you have your defenses. These are invisible defenses, moral fences, relational fences, but you need them. Because if you as a leader get corrupted, everybody else underneath you will get affected. So protect yourself. Um, and you protect what kind of information comes into you. Uh, you protect uh, who influences you. Because you want to protect not only yourself, but those beneath you. In Proverbs 25, verse 5 says, Keep evil advisors away from the king, and his government will be known for its justice. So protect the king. Keep evil advisors away. Protect the leader. Keep the wrong people away. And his government will be really sound. As a leader, as leaders, we must demonstrate, emphasize, empower, and celebrate honesty. You know, if you want to build a people, you want to build an organization where honesty is the culture, then celebrate that. The cult, celebrate whatever you want to create. The more you celebrate it, the more you affirm it, the more people will embrace it. So if you, for example, if you want honesty to be a part of your organization or your team or the people that you're leading, then celebrate that. Celebrate honesty. Soon your people realize that that's what you're affirming. That's what you're commending. And when, it is, uh, when there is dishonesty, you're dealing with it very severely. And, and people understand it. And then what will happen? Honesty will become part of the culture, the organizational culture, because that's what the leader is celebrating and affirming. Are you with me so far? So here's a scripture here in Proverbs 16, verses 12 and 13. Good leaders abhor wrongdoing of all kinds. Sound leadership has a moral foundation. Good leaders cultivate honest speech. They love advisors who tell them the truth. So see, when people look at the leader and say, what kind of people is he uh, surrounding himself with? What is he celebrating? What is he cultivating? When they see that the leader is affirming honesty, they're going to 
begin to go get in line with that and, and flow with that. So important. Page 174, Proverbs 17, verse 26. It is not right to make an innocent person pay a fine. Justice is perverted when good people are punished. You know, as a leader, if you punish a person for doing right, what kind of a message are you sending to the rest of the organization? You're telling them that if you do right, you're going to get punished. So what will happen? Everybody's going to keep doing the wrong thing. Because they'll think, man, if I do what's right, the leader's going to fire me, you know. So it's not good to do that. This may seem very simple, but unfortunately in practice, some, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, we end up making decisions that actually punish the, the person who's done the right thing. The person who's done things out of honesty, out of integrity, he gets uh, the, the flack. He gets the negative end of the stick. And so what happens? We are sending a wrong message to, to the rest of the people who are following. Page 174, as a leader, your attitude wrecks or invigorates. People tolerate or celebrate your attitude. And as a leader, uh, your attitude is so important because people actually draw out of that. If you have a good attitude, it's going to invigorate people. It's going to energize them. It's going to inspire them. But if you have a bad attitude, you shout at everybody, oh man, the, every, the moment you enter the room, everyone, oh no, I don't know what's going to happen today. <laughs> How he's going to behave today. Look at what the scriptures say, Proverbs 16, verses 14 and 15. An intemperate leader wrecks havoc in lives. You're smart to stay clear of someone like that. Good-tempered leaders invigorate lives. They are like spring rain and sunshine. So what's your attitude? What kind of a temperament do you carry? Do people find it a joy when you come in to their workspace? Or are they expecting lightning and thunder and a hurricane and earthquake when you step in? Do they recognize that you have a human side to the way you relate to them? Leaders, your attitude. Now, sometimes, you know, or I shouldn't say sometimes, but many times, you know, people can't fire the leader. right? So whatever he temperament he has, they just put up with it, get along with their work. You know, as soon as he leaves, he says, come out and leave, you know. And so if a leader has a bad attitude, people just put up with it. They, they just tolerate it. They don't celebrate it. They wait for him to go, get away. But if you are a, a person of a leader who, who has a good temperament, who, uh, who has a, a right attitudes, then people welcome you. They listen to what you're saying. They celebrate your presence. And really, you need to go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Be real, down to earth, avoid pretense. Proverbs 13 verse 7 says, A pretentious showy life is an empty life. A plain and simple life is a full life. Just be plain and simple, down to earth. And this is even true about Christian leadership. And uh, when, I, when I do pastors' conferences, I, you know, I, I kind of say this jokingly. Nowadays, Christian leaders, you know, they're like film stars. Because, you know, when they walk up, you know, when they're walking into the auditorium, of course, first of all, they get off. They don't get off any ordinary car. <laughs> they only travel in, you know, these, you know, <laughs> those, those big cars, you know. And somebody opens the door and they've got the dark glasses on, you know. Hopefully they have vision, but I don't know. <laughs> you know? And uh, then they are escorted to stage, you know. There's one person carrying his Bible. Another carrying his, you know, his cell phone. Another carrying his water bottle. Another carrying his, I don't know, his second cell phone. And they're marching this, this holy anointed man of God <laughs> to stage. And, and then he comes in and, you know, he's... You know, and, and today Christian leaders just create this whole pretense, this sense of awe. But you know, underneath all of that, they're just human. They eat the same rice and sambar that you and I eat. You know, <laughs> you know so, 
uh, that's today's Christian world. It's a shame. And so I, I always make fun of these things in, in our pastors' conferences when we talk about it. But then uh, I intentionally, you know, when we do our conferences, I, I'll sit with the people. I'll mingle with the people. And they're very scared now, you know, because now it's, it's shaking their understanding of leadership. Because a Christian leader is not supposed to mingle with the, with the human people, you know. <laughs> With, with ordinary people. He's supposed to be up on stage, so high on a in a crystal cathedral somewhere. You know? and, 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 but we just, we tell, no, we're just going to mingle with the people. He's going to be with them, sit with them, eat with them, stand in line to get our foods. These are things Christian leaders don't do. You know? and, and, and it shocks their minds. Because at the end of it, we want people to know we're just ordinary. We're also earthen vessels. I mean, there is no difference between you and me. There's, we're just earthen. We're just ordinary people. It's just that God's given us a role. He's given us certain gift things that, uh, and responsibility to carry for the church. That's all. But other than that, we're just ordinary people. And so we don't want to live in this false pretense, uh, thinking that, you know, Christian leaders are some superstars or something. No. And this goes even, you know, even in, in everyday life. Just, just be real. Just be down to earth. Uh, avoid any of these pretense. Proverbs 12 verse 9 says, Better to be ordinary and work for a living than act important and starve in the process. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 5 and 6. And you who are younger must follow your leaders, but all of you, Leaders and followers alike are to be down to earth with each other. For God has had it with the proud, but takes delight in just plain people. So be content with who you are and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you and he'll promote you at the right time. Amen? So just as a leader, be down to earth. Page 176. As a leader, be what you're you want your team to be lead by example. Uh, we keep telling people, you know, the, the greatest message you can preach is the life you live. You know, people will forget all these sermons. You know, some of you have been sitting and listening to my sermons last 10 years. <laughs> and, and I don't know how much of it you remember. In fact, one of our own pastors, you know, uh, it, was, it was funny. I, I was spending time with one of our pastors. Uh, and he came to me, Pastor, you know, this message of the cross uh, is so wonderful. I mean, it, this is so new. Uh, I said, bro, sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't mention it. I said, you know, hey, we actually taught it in church three years ago. <laughs> and we also did it on God TV. Really? <laughs> He's one of our own pastors, you know. <laughs> and uh, so the fact is you can't remember all the sermons that are being preached Sunday after Sunday. Uh, and it's just normal, you tend to forget because you're hearing so much. But there's one thing people will never forget. They will never forget the life you live. They'll never forget that. So you be what you want your people to be. You lead by example. Let your life model it. And of course, we are all works in progress. Now, we are also being changed. We are also growing. We are growing in the anointing. We are growing in the gifts of God. We are growing in the character of Christ. We are growing, but we must grow to be the kind of people we want our people to be. Um, Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah chapter 5 is a great example of this man, Nehemiah. Uh, uh, and just to quickly say this, state this, you know, Nehemiah, when he came to lead the people, he, ref he was a governor, but he refused to take uh, the benefits of being a governor because of the situations. People are going through a very difficult time. So he refused to take it, and he focused on his assignment. And uh, when it came time to challenge people under him to do the same thing, to make sacrifices and say, you know, I, I want you to forgive people their debts, cancel their debts, and don't take it from them. He could challenge them. Why? Because he was practicing that himself. He could challenge them to do it. And they were gladly did it because they saw it modeled in Nehemiah's life and in, and in his, him as a leader. So be what, what you want your team to be. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. This is on page 177. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. 
He said, imitate me. Follow my example because I'm following Jesus. And I'm letting my life be molded into that. Uh, get the facts first, then act. So as a leader, you've got to make decisions. Make decisions on facts. Uh, sometimes we have to do it, you know, uh, people say through gut feeling, just what you feel inside, okay? But when facts are available, get the facts. Make your decisions based on facts here. Proverbs 13, verse 16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. So get the information, put it all together, look at it, and then make your decision. Don't just go be driven by purely your emotions uh, or <clears throat> purely speculations, uh, unless you're doing day trading, but you act with knowledge, you act with facts. Get the, knowledge, get the information together, then act. Proverbs 18, verse 13. Listen before you answer. If you don't, you're being stupid and insulting. Amen. <laughs> Give honest feedback. Proverbs 28, verse 23. Correct someone and afterward he'll appreciate it more than flattery. Now, this is a really difficult thing to do as a leader. To be able to give honest feedback, timely feedback, especially when it has to do with correction. When people do a good job, you know, be, be quick to commend them for it. Celebrate that. Hey, you did a good job. That was great. That was nice. Good work. And be appreciative. And that's, that's easy to do because you're celebrating something nice that happened. But on the, on the other hand, when something goes wrong, uh, it's really difficult because you don't want to hurt the other person. And uh, at the same time, you need to communicate it in a way that builds them up, not tears them down. And that's a challenge. How do you say it in a way that's building up, not tearing down? But that, that has to be communica communicated. It needs to be said. Otherwise, things will not improve. Things will not change. And part of being a leader is to correct what is wrong in order to bring about growth, in order to bring about change. So uh, develop the ability, the skill to do that. And, 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 to, and to give feedback uh, to people, but do it in a nice way. Do it in the best way that you can uh, to build people up. Page 178. Don't waste your words on the inattentive. Proverbs 25 verse 12. A warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than gold rings or jewelry made of the finest gold. So when you... Out of your experience, out of your knowledge, you're bringing about, you're sharing information or bringing correction. Uh, you are delivering something to them that is actually more, worth more than money and gold. But if they are not appreciative of that, if they're not able to see the value in what you're bringing into their lives, don't waste your time. Give your knowledge, your experience to people who are willing to receive it. Amen? It's like Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before. So, I mean, like, hey, you've got something valuable. Don't throw it in, eh, before those who don't value it. Don't waste your time. Don't do that. Guard against greed. Demonstrate contentment with compl without complacency. Proverbs 15, 27. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. We've seen this before. You know, uh, one of the things as a leader, of course, is many times you dictate a lot of things. You determine, for instance, maybe you will determine your own pay. You may determine how much of, you know, uh, how many benefits you get, etc. as a leader or head of an organization so on. Do it without being greedy. Of course, you need to pay yourself what, what your real worth is and what you're bringing to the organization. That's fine. That's fair. But be careful of greed. When you fall into greed, uh, it can end up doing a lot of things, uh, a lot of wrong things. So guard against greed. You may ma start making decisions that compromise on your core values. Uh, you may start making decisions that put your organization at risk just because of personal greed. So guard against greed. But when you're talking about guarding against greed, we're also saying uh, uh, have contentment, but don't become complacent. Contentment and complacency are not the same thing. Are you with me? We've got to learn to be content, but don't be complacent in your work or in the pursuit of your vision. You've got to be aggressive when it comes to pursuing your vision, come to, coming to uh, going, uh, moving up personally or organizationally. You've got to be aggressive. 
you're, you're moving on. But when it comes to personal things, like how much of money and so on, walk with contentment. Learn uh, to be satisfied uh, in, in those areas. Stay away, page 180. Stay away from women and wine. You know, the more power, the more influence you have, uh, the more guarded you need to be. But really what happens is, the higher we go, the less guarded we become. Because now we think nobody can touch me. I can do whatever I want to, nobody can question me. Because I'm so high up. And that becomes our downfall. We, the very fences that we use to protect us, instead of raising them higher, we tend to neglect those fences. And as we go up, whether it's going up the corporate ladder, or going up you know, as a person, professionally, uh, we tend to relax on these fences that, that really helped us get where we are. Uh, and then what happens? Things that we would refuse, now we begin to tolerate. And what you tolerate will eventually dominate you. And so, women and wine are two major areas where leaders often fall. Be careful. Stay God-controlled and God-directed. Proverbs 21 verse 1. Good leadership is a channel of water controlled by God. He directs it to what, whatever end he chooses. So what is good leadership? It's really being that, that like a channel of water being controlled and directed by God. That's good leadership. How God-controlled are you? Desire to be even more God-controlled as a leader. Amen? Are you with me? Okay. So now, please fasten your seatbelts. We're going to skip or skim through the remaining chapters until we hit chapter 19. So are you ready? Chapter 14. We talk about marketing, brand building, and selling. Uh, principles that guide us here. Uh, how to you know, communicate the products or services or uh, things that we are offering and bringing to the market. Uh, and uh, practical um, uh, principles that you can use uh, in, in this area. Chapter 15, we, we're talking about customer relations. So how do you deal with customers? What biblical principles can you use uh, in relating to customers? Um, things like responding quickly, don't make false promises, send out your best man to handle the crisis, uh, stay calm, even when the customer make, makes unreasonable demands. Chapter 16, we talk about challenges and tough times. So being in the marketplace, being in the workplace will bring us uh, uh, difficult times. We will see challenges, we will see ups and downs. Uh, the mountains can be conquered. Just remember that no matter what you face, you can conquer it. Uh, um, maintain a positive attitude. Be thankful. Are you all turning pages with me? Yeah, so on page 200. Yeah, okay. uh, uh, don't lose your confidence. Uh, tap into empowered efficiency. You know, God can empower you. He can increase your efficiency. Uh, the, Bible, the, 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 the Bible says here, one of you can chase a thousand. Now that's normally not possible. But it becomes possible when God is empowering you. So that's increased efficiency, your empowered efficiency. Uh, you will have bad bosses, and, and, and the scriptures teach us what to do, how to handle um, bad bosses. Uh, you can bounce back when you're put down. There are times in your workplace when uh, people may put you down, say wrong things about you. Um, uh, you'll have to face uh, uh, gossip and organizational politics. Uh, and, and, and uh, learning how to navigate through them. There may be false, false allegations that you may have to stand up against uh, when you work out in the marketplace. And uh, We talk about how to resolve conflicts among brethren. Uh, the Bible gives us instruction on that. Uh, uh, <clears throat> having to deal with uh, uh, prejudices and male shamanism. And, uh, you know, what if people are prejudiced against you and things like that, how to deal with that. Uh, in the workplace... I, uh, uh, ladies, you may have to face and, and learn to stand up against uh, male sexual advances and requests. And uh, you, you need to be strong in, 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 in resisting that. And for men, you know, there, there may be a, a woman seduced or somebody trying to seduce you in the workplace. And you need to learn how to stand up against it. 
Uh, you may be ridiculed for your faith in the workplace, learning how to stand strong through those times. So there are challenges that we've addressed, and I, I encourage you to read that. Chapter 17, we talk about stewardship, uh, learning how to use the money that God's given to us wisely, of honoring God with our personal finances, uh, learning to tithe from our individual income, uh, being generous to help others in need, giving to the poor, the widows, the orphans. Uh, organizations can, uh, can also look at ways of contributing towards the kingdom. And then learning to address social causes, uh, whether it's poverty or injustice or other things, uh, how uh, as an individual or as an organization, uh, you can address those and, and being good stewards of creation, the resources of the world around us. Chapter 18, we're talking about career growth. Uh, God is interested in seeing you grow professionally. Uh, you can enjoy the rewards of your work. That's a promise in scripture. Promotion comes from God. God will promote you. He'll lift you up. So you can look to God for that. Remember, excellence will be rewarded. So pursue excellence in your work. Um, walk in wisdom. Wisdom will open doors that otherwise may not open up to you. But remember, the higher up you go, the more responsible you will have to be. The more you're given, uh, the more you will have to deliver. Uh, the, the stakes are higher when you uh, go up. There may be times of un unemployment. Some of us may have to go through those seasons. Uh, be patient as you transition to that. We've given a little word of encouragement there. Uh, and prepare as you go into a new job. Uh, some attitudes that you need to carry when you transition uh, to a new job. Uh, and uh, also some of you, some of us may move from employment to entrepreneurship. Uh, some thoughts there on that. Uh, we are getting ready to land. We now descend into chapter 19. Are you there? All right. So we're going to spend some time here on chapter 19. Where we want to talk about work-life balance. You know, earlier this year, uh, um, I think Ernst and Young put out a, a major study on, on work-life balance as they looked at uh, eight, eight countries. And they did a study of uh, over uh, a thousand, no, about maybe 10,000 was the number, of 10,000 working professionals uh, across three generations that right from their you know, late teens all the way to their mid-60s. Uh, they did a, a survey across eight countries, India featured in, in that, India, China, Brazil, America, other countries. And they were looking at the changing trends in work-life balance. And uh, uh, India ranked pretty, pretty high in, in terms of people struggling. And, and what they found basically, and which, which may be obvious, but just to prove it with data, is that uh, the younger, youngest generation, those who have just entered into the workplace, they have their, uh, they are facing the greatest challenges when it comes to work-life balance because in most cases, both spouses are working. And so they really struggle in trying to keep all of this together. So really, things seem to be getting more and more challenging with uh, people entering the workforce when it comes to this area of, of, of learning how to keep everything in proper balance. And, and you can go online, you can get this study. There's a lot of data there which they've put out uh, uh, and, and they've asked several different kinds of questions um, uh, in that. So uh, it is very evident that trying to manage life at work with family, uh, with time for recreation, with time for uh, spiritual things for us, especially our time for Christian ministry, all of this it, it can try to have, you know, put all this together uh, can be very, very challenging. Uh, and uh, on page 230, we see some, I just mentioned some of the quest, um, uh, consequences of it. You could be always under stress. Um, sometimes people, because of all this, they escape uh, for quick highs. They get into drugs and alcohol. Um, people face emotional disorders. Uh, there's family conflict, marital conflict. Uh, there's a sense of dissatisfaction. Maybe working hard, but not feeling satisfied at all. Uh, and so all of these things are just symptoms of this underlying problem that uh, work life uh, is not in a, a proper balance. So uh, on page 231, I've just put a little table together where I said, you know, here are some things that I think we should all have time for on a regular basis. 
but do we really have time for it? And you can sit down and think through this. We don't have time right now for you to sit down and answer these questions. But ask yourself, do you have enough time to rest, to spend with your family, uh, to spend on recreational activity or other interests, uh, to develop new skills, and, and so on? Do you have time for it? And then you can kind of get a little idea of, uh, you know, of where you are in terms of keeping things in balance. So work-life balance is ultimately you arriving at a place where you and your family uh, are happy with the way you're living life. I mean, are you happy with the way all of these things are, are being held together uh, in your life today? Now, what are things that could contribute to imbalance in work life? Um, I've tried to put some of these things down on page 232, 233. Uh, broadly speaking, uh, uh, there were, you go to page 234, there would be personal skills. When I lack the skills I need to do my job, it's going to take me more time to do it. So, for example, you know, uh, which something that would take, uh, normally take 15 minutes for a person to do. If you're taking two hours, then you really got to check up on your skills. Are you with me? Right? So that means it's not a problem with your boss. Your skills need to be developed uh, uh, and, and so that you can actually get those things done in the normal time, which would somebody with the right skills would, be, would take place. So look up your personal skills. Can you improve your skills? And you need to be improving your skills, uh, working with technology or uh, things like that that can improve what you're doing. Some, some of this could be workplace related. Sometimes the imbalance is caused because of workplace related things. Maybe your boss is demanding. He, he, he just keeps loading you with work and he doesn't see uh, the value of you being able to go home on time or spend time with the family. He doesn't see that. And so there's just a, a, an endless stream of work being put out there. Maybe it's your co-workers who are not carrying their fair share of the load. So you're making up for them as well. So these could be some of the factors that, uh, that bring about imbalance. Sometimes it could be personal lifestyle choices. You know, you're, you're not happy with driving a Volkswagen. You want something bigger, you know. And so you're looking for more pay. And so now you're working two jobs or whatever you're doing. And, 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 and you know, so, and so it's a personal lifestyle choices. So you, instead of trying to push up for, you know, more and more, you make choices to simplify your own personal lifestyle. And that can reduce uh, stress and, and bring balance into the way you're living life. Or it could be other factors. Maybe you need to relocate closer to your work into spending, you know, uh, that hour or two hours every day in commute. Uh, you, you just move closer. Look at other options like trying to work from home or, uh, you know, a couple of days from home and a couple of days from work. Things like that that, that, you could, that could help bring about uh, balance in, 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 in your work, work life. Uh, keep in mind that organizations can only do so much to help you, which means the rest of the responsibility is on us. Amen? Now, in case your neighbor is making up for the rest right here in church, just, you know, just wake them up. You know, they say, man, I'm getting my life in balance. Just wake them up, right? You're all awake? You're all awake? Okay. So... Now, let me just talk about some practical things, the things that we can learn from Scripture that will help us maintain work-life balance. Page 235. Maintain the rhythm of worship, work, and rest. God put that in place. Uh, you see that in the Bible. He says, observe this. This is Exodus 20, verses 8 to 10. Observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Work six days. Do everything you need to do. Seventh day is a day to rest and honor God. So there's a rhythm that he set in our weekly life and a rhythm that you maintain on a daily basis. Time to worship God. For me, I do it in the mornings. I like to get up in the morning, spend some time reading my Bible, praying, seeking God. For you, you may do it at night, whatever. But on a daily basis, regularly, of course, some days you'll miss if you're traveling, if you're not well, whatever. But on a daily basis, you're, you're spending time to worship. Then you spend time to work and then your time to rest and relax and so on. So maintain this rhythm. Uh, be committed to what is important. Page 236. You know, Jesus gave us priorities. He said, love the Lord your God. That's your first commandment. Love others as you love yourself. That's a second. So there is an order. There's a priority. Uh, a list of priorities that we must maintain. So be committed to what is important. 
for that, you will need to know what is important to you. What's important to you? Worshipping God, spending time with family, resting, relaxing. You need to know things that are important to you. And understand true value. Have, your va have a value scale. Not everything that needs to be done has the same value. So understand value scale. A great example is that of Mary and Martha. When Jesus came home to visit them, Martha was busy, you know, making a biryani. And Mary said, man, this is the only chance I've got with Jesus. I'll sit and spend time with him. So the value, you know, both wanted to do something nice for Jesus, but the values were different. She wanted to make some nice food, which is important. I'm not saying it's not important. But Mary saw value differently. She said, this time with Jesus, I can't get because the crowds are always with him. This one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus is so important. And so she, she chose to sit there at his feet and enjoy that one-on-one -on -one time. Right? Value. What do you value? If your boss says, you know, you work three extra hours on Saturday, I'll give you extra pay. But Saturday morning is the time you take your kids out to the music classes. What would you do? I know you can arrange a driver to take them to class and earn <laughs> some extra money there. I mean, you could do that. That's one way of approaching it. But maybe that time that you have with your children, driving them to music class, sitting there, uh, and then driving back. Maybe that's value. Money you can always make, but the time with those kids you'll never get back. What's value? I remember there were times, now my kids are grown up quite a bit, but um, there were times when, you know, I refused to go preach. They come, can you come and speak at this meeting? Sorry, I can't. Why? I've got to play football with Josh. And there was times that really did that. I, I don't know how they felt. So like, what, a, what a worldly pastor. <laughs> he wants to go play football with his son. He can't come and preach. But for me, doing something like that, was, and I really did it. I'm not making this out. I really did that. I really said it. For me, choosing to keep that time with my son was more important than going and preaching. Preaching I can always do. I do it every Sunday anyway. <laughs> but that time that you choose, things that you choose to do, what's value for you? True value. So when you know, when you understand value, then you'll be able to keep important things important. Page 238. Um, don't be afraid to say no to people. You know, there will always be needs. There will always be people wanting your time, your energy, your attention. Don't be afraid to say no. Because when you say no to people, you're not rejecting them. You're only rejecting the idea. Because you've got other things that you need to take care of. So don't be afraid to say no. Uh, if somebody says, can you come and do this? You say, sorry, no. Why? I need to go rest. So what? You need to rest? <laughs> I need to rest. I'm also human. And rest is important because only then you can be fresh the next day to do what you need to do. You know, so don't be afraid to say no for things that you value that are important. Because when you say no, you're just saying no to the idea and not to the person. You still respect and honor the people. Page 238. Family time. Set time aside regularly for your spouse and children. You know, enjoy these moments, these simple these moments. You know, usually at home... This is our normal practice, usually. After dinner, we all have family time. So we sit together and just talk. There is no agenda. You know, we don't say, okay, point one, <laughs> point. There is no agenda. We just sit and talk. And we could talk about anything, right? Uh, just anything. It, it doesn't have to be important. Uh, what happened in your life or you know, Ruth may have something to say, or Josh may have something, or Amy may have something. But that's family time. Now, it's not, you know, two hours. It may be just 30 minutes. Sometimes it may be 45 minutes, whatever. It depends on, you know, what we talk. But that's family time, and that's normal. After dinner, let's sit and talk. And then, during that time, we also pray. 
And again, our prayer time doesn't necessarily have a set structure. You know, read 20 chapters today. <laughs> it's not like that. Sometimes we may just pray. Sometimes we may sing and pray. Sometimes we may read a passage of scripture and pray. So it's, it's fluid, but yet that time happens. Are you with me? I want to challenge you. You try to have family time. Not on WhatsApp. <laughs> I have a family group, you know. Dad, mom, <laughs> and the kids. We have a family time on WhatsApp. Yeah, I mean, that's okay if you're communicating. But you need to sit down together. Be in the same room. Spend time with each other. Even if it's 15 minutes, it's okay. It's family time. You're talking about something. You're sharing life. You're, you're just saying, this is what happened today. Or, you know, somebody may have something to say. But value that because that, you're not going to get that once your kids grow up and leave. You're not going to get it. So on page 239, we've just listed some simple things. Expressing love and affection. To your spouse and children. Now, my daughter Ruth is uh, 15, but she still comes and sits on my lap. So don't tell her. <laughs> but it's, it's okay. You know, she's still my daughter. Yes, she's growing up, but she's still my daughter. And she, I can still hug her and, and do all that. Why? Because, you know, there'll be coming a time when she's gone, grown up and gone. You'll get no more opportunity for her to sit on your lap or hug her. It's gone, right? So simple things are showing affection. Uh, express love and affection to your, to your spouse and children. Uh, have time not only for discipline but for fun as well. You know, sometimes I think parents, we, only, we think our only responsibility is to discipline our children all the time. And we forget that, you know, your discipline will not be of any use if you don't always, if you don't not only balance it out but do more fun things with them. Then when you discipline them, they're ready to listen. They're ready to receive. Have meals together. And that's so important. Try to have meals together. We make it a point almost every evening. And I'm saying almost because there's some evenings it doesn't happen. I'm late or somebody's late. Something's happening. But almost every evening, we have dinner together. Breakfast is a little hurried. So kids come, have the breakfast, go. Because they catch the, go to school and all that. But dinner, we sit and have dinner together. Do that. Have meals together. Because you spend time with each other. Pray, say grace, eat together, talk about things. Be involved in your children's studies and activities. You know, you know, sometimes we say, okay, I send my kids to school, but do you know what your child is studying? Do you know what subjects they're studying? Do you know how they're doing in school? You know, don't just leave them on and get so busy with work. Spend time with them because you never get to do this again. Are you listening? Spend time, get involved in their education, get involved in their studies. Take time for regular family vacations. Up until last year, we made it a point. Oh, I'm past 12.30. Uh, we made a point to at least have two vacations every year. Summertime and during October. So when I make my calendar the previous year, those two weeks are already blocked out. I will not accept anything in those two weeks. They're meant for family vacations. And we don't go off to exotic places. It's like simple places. Go there. But you're going on, taking a break, going with family. Now my kids get very bored because we always end up going to the jungle. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, it's just a time to get away with family. And uh, you block it in your calendar. Two vacations a year. Pray together regularly as a family. Attend and serve at church as a family. Encourage your children to serve. 
you know, uh, when they come off, you know, when they, they're able to do something, encourage them to do what they are able to do. Maybe in children's church, start right there. And once they come out of children's church, come here, you know, when they're able to handle PowerPoint, put them on that. When they're able to do something else, get them involved in serving in church. Send them on mission trips and uh, send them on outreaches. Get them involved. Let them see uh, what it means to live out uh, their faith in God. And I've spent a lot of time on this, but that's important. These are things that will help bring about that balance. Uh, let's move on, and I'll get ready to close. 239. Keep short accounts, checks, and balances. You know, there will be those times when things get out of hand. Uh, maybe you're traveling, you're gone away from home for a couple of weeks, or uh, there's a season at work when you're spending more hours at work. All those things will be there. But keep checks and balances. If you spend more time at work, then you balance it out the following week and where you take things a little slower and spend time uh, with your family. Page 240. Guard your resources, your time, energy, and money. You know, be a wise steward of how you use your time, energy, and money. Uh, there are things that are there are energy leaks that, that actually waste these resources. And I mentioned some of them on page 240. And are not minding your own business. I mean, you're not doing your own work, but you're doing everybody else's work. So that's going to waste your time. So mind your own business. Uh, overreacting to situations. Learn to be calm. Because when you overreact, you're wasting your energy on, 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 on the way you're reacting to a situation, which you could use in a better way. Uh, avoid distractions, social media updates, browsing, chatting, texting, you know, they waste a lot of time. So avoid those things. Uh, investing, you know, putting your time into unprofitable things like gossiping or just talking about things that don't, that don't amount to anything. Or overcrowding your life with unnecessary things, you know, declutter your life. Um, uh, page 241, 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, stay calm, mind your own business. Did you know it was in the Bible? So when you tell somebody, mind your own business, you're quoting scripture. <laughs> so I, I know at least one verse from the Bible. <laughs> mind your own business. <laughs> Stay calm. Mind your own business. Do your own job. You've heard all this from us before, but a reminder never hurts. Proverbs 26, verse 17. You grab a mad dog by the ears. When you butt into a quarrel, that's none of your business. Like when you get into somebody else's fight, it's like taking a dog by the ears. Right? So just mind your own business. <laughs> uh, develop personal efficiency, productivity, and time-saving skills. So uh, think of how you can work better, how you can be more efficient with your time, the way you work. Um, uh, increase personal efficiency, learning, uh, making use of tools, technology. Organize yourself. Organize your work. You know, for example, simple things like the way you name your file. Sometimes I see how people name their files. They're like one dot docx. <laughs> like, what is that file about? You know, it may be some important contract document. <laughs> you never know, right? Name your files intelligently so that you can retrieve it very quickly. Keep your desktop decluttered. Uh, organize your your your. You know, have some. Uh, some structured way to managing your digital content, all your files, your pictures, whatever. You know, uh, things that are family-related, things that are work-related. You know, uh, so I'll tell you, uh, the sermons I've preached from 2004, that's 11, from 11 years back, every sermon, you tell me what I preached which Sunday, I can go back and retrieve it for you. Because it's all organized. Which Sunday, what I preached is there. So I know when to repeat things, you know. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> you know, that's one benefit, of course. <laughs> but, but the point is this. All, every sermon, it's, it's a label. I've got date and date, day, and year. It's labeled. It's got the name of the sermon. So for the last 11 years, it's all organized. It's all up on our website as well. For the last 11 years, all our sermons are online. You can go and get it. So organize your digital content because now a lot of our information is stored digitally, and, and, and the more you organize, easy to retrieve and, and make use of, and, and so on. So there are uh, simple things you can do to become more efficient. Set short deadlines. I'll just mention, this is on page 242. Set tight deadlines for your task. If there is a task that you think you can finish in 30 minutes, set a deadline of 20 minutes. Why? 
because Parkinson's law, and this came out back in the 1940s, I think, uh, uh, he said that work stretches itself to fill the time allotted to it. So if there's a task that can be done in 30 minutes, but you give it two hours, that 30 minutes task will actually extend and you will fill up two hours because you've given two hours for it. So what should you do? Always allocate less time than what's needed for the task. Then what will happen? You will put your, all your effort to get it done within 20 minutes. It'll save you time. So now we also know how to handle your team members. Right? Give them tight deadlines. That's, you, you're helping them become more efficient in, in doing things. Lastly, your last few things here. Rejuvenate yourself. Time to rest, refresh. Uh, stop demonic disruptions and delays. Of course, the enemy comes in uh, to, uh, to disrupt things. Plan ahead. Have a daily, weekly, monthly, annual plan. So I plan. Before uh, 2015 is out, my calendar for 2016 will already be planned. When am I traveling? What are my vacation times? What are the vacation days? Conferences? Is that full year is already planned? So then, when people contact me, then if I have time, I can fill them in, or others I can just say, "Sorry, I can't take this up." So always plan ahead for an entire year. Then you know you you keep you're able to manage your time well and keep things in balance. So I'm going to stop here. Now, I just, um, I just want to encourage you and I that this definitely is an area of challenge, work-life balance. But there are ways that we can keep things in order so we can live healthier lives and meaningful lives for God's kingdom. Amen? Let's stand to our feet, please. Thank you for um, bearing with me. I know we're way past our normal time. So next Sunday, uh, we're going to have a great time here. We will have uh, three of our leaders here speak to us and, uh, and, and just share with us from their own uh, practical experience and bring things to a close. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and we thank you for truth, for things that we can live by. And Lord, we pray your blessing, God, on each of us here that we will take your word and live by your words out there in the world where things may be challenging, things may be very demanding, but give us the grace, the empowering God to walk by the wisdom that you revealed to us. I pray that God, each one of us will live fruitful lives, that each one of us, God, will live lives that are meaningful and fruitful for the kingdom of God. We just thank you. We bless you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for staying a little longer than usual. Have a great Sunday and a great week. God bless. We are currently doing a series on timeless principles for the workplace. And we have a brand new publication with the same name. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.